0: Cool. Well, I was uh, watching the kids again last weekend. even and Adrian had to be out, and so um, I was watching Penny, who's now five, and Charlotte, who's now four. That's right, There's that short period of time where they're only a year apart. So anyway, the girls were both home at their house, and they're both pretty sick, feeling kind of punk. and So we just sort of sat and vegged in front of, you know, Daniel Tiger most of the day, and uh, uh, it was it was just kind of it was a really sweet time. I just love my girls and I love hanging out with them. But anyway, they were both sort of just zoned, just kind of you know kind of not feeling great and just sort of and watching TV. And so I'm kind of zoned too. We're all just kind of sitting there, and out of nowhere, Penny goes, "Papa, wait, why are you here again?" And I had literally, she literally forgot. I said, your mom and dad had to go. They just couldn't be here, so that's why I'm here. Oh, yeah, that's right, that's right. I thought, that's so cute. She's, Senior moment, exactly. You're only five, come on. <laughs> so we couldn't handle Daniel Tiger anymore, so after about two hours, um, we said, we gotta, we gotta go outside. The sun was out. It was one of those kind of warm spring days, you know, and I'm going, oh, this is nice. You're right, we gotta go out. But mom said, you know, you're both kind of sick, so don't overdo it. I said, so I'm, All right, let's go play on the trampoline. Let's do something. Let's go do something minor, you know. So we went out on the trampoline, and I'm bouncing around, and they're bouncing around. We're having a great old time, and I'm getting exhausted. Boy, talk about a cardio workout. Have you done this before? Oh, my gosh. So anyway, we're having a blast out there. And it was all fine and good. And uh, then we all just kind of laid down, spread eagle, and just laid in the sun. And went, ah, it feels so good. Finally, it was time to get down. And and I'm crawling out. It's one of those kind that has the net all the way around it, you know. And there's this little opening, just kind of like a little like that, and then they had a chair that they were using to get up and down on. So I'm kind of backing out this hole like this, you know, and I put my foot on the chair, (laughs) and suddenly the chair just falls through. I just smashed it into pieces, and I go tumbling and rolling back, and oh man, Papa, are you okay? Are you okay? Yeah, I'm fine. I'm fine. Did a little somersault, you know. Gymnastics comes in handy at those moments. Um, So anyway, I got on my feet. The chair's destroyed. And uh, I said, girls, I am so sorry I broke your chair. I'm just so sorry. Oh, it's okay, Papa. It's okay. It's okay. So anyway, into the house we go, cool down, get some water. And again, okay, flip on. It wasn't Daniel Tiger. It was, I think it was the Mickey Minnie Mouse thing, you know. Really good stuff. Um, And again, we're just sitting there. And now Charlotte goes, Papa, I forgive you for breaking our chair. I thought that was so sweet. And I just had to remember, did I even apologize for that? I don't know if I did or not. But just out of nowhere. And I'm thinking, now that's good parenting. Out of the blue, understanding the power of forgiveness and giving that away. Covering over one another's offenses. And I'm thinking, Adrian, Avon, you're doing such an awesome job with those girls. That's why we're talking about the Ten Commandments because it's a generational Principle to understand that God is trying to form a family that won't blow apart. That's what this whole thing is about. The commandments, if you remember from the last couple of weeks, are not to um, frustrate the perps. They weren't given so that the people can't have a lot of fun. They were given to protect the victims, to shield those who can't defend themselves, who, who need protection, And the innocence of those who can't protect themselves really is what what motivates God's heart. Even when it comes to things like punishment and discipline and correction of wrongdoers, it's actually because of the passion he has for those who are being victimized by the other person. So when he begins going through all of these, you know, prioritizations, God first in all things, no other gods, no other idols, observe the Sabbath, and then into that list of final five thou shalt nots, He's thinking about those who need protection because that's the way you keep unity in families. That's the way you keep the body of Christ together. That's the way you keep the nation of Israel together. That's the way you keep churches together. When I think about innocence, I think about... There's just a really cool picture I have to show you. These are Matt and Ashley Turner's twins who were just born a a, a few weeks ago. I wanted to show you that picture because... These are the kind of people God has in mind when he begins to say, thou shalt not. It's for their protection. And do you know that in your heart and in mind, there's still a place like this, a place of innocence, deserving of all the protection in the universe, not innocent as in sinless, but childlike need and dependence on a Father in heaven. Would you say amen to that? Yeah. So. When you're hearing God say things like, I I need you to have reverent awe and fear of me as your God. And I need you to adhere to these commandments. Take them seriously. It's because everybody in my world needs that kind of safety, and so do you. Exodus 20, verse 15 through 21, if you want to open your Bibles, I've got it right here as well. Exodus 20, verse 15 through 21. These are the last three, the final three commandments Very simple, very direct, very straightforward. You shall not steal. You shall not give false testimony against your neighbor. You shall not covet your neighbor's house. You shall not covet your neighbor's wife or his male or female servant, his ox or his donkey or anything that belongs to your neighbor. And when the people saw the thunder and lightning and heard the trumpet and saw the mountain in smoke, they trembled with fear. They stayed at a distance and said to Moses, Speak to us yourself and we will listen, but do not have God speak to us or we will die. Moses said to the people, Do not be afraid. God has come to test you so that the fear of God will be with you to keep you from sinning. The people remained at a distance while Moses approached the thick darkness where God was. One of the versions says, God has come to test you and instill a deep and reverent awe within you so that you won't sin. I want to start with that very last part. After these commandments were given, I want you to imagine the people surrounding Moses has just come back down the mountain. At a distance, they see this probably volcanic activity going on. Something is causing smoke to come pouring out of this thing. And and they heard what sounded like a trumpet in this heavenly Band of angels is at work. Nature is at work. All of the elements are at work. They're all attempting, or a part of God's attempt, to instill in the people a reverent awe. It's interesting. Moses says, Don't be afraid, but fear the Lord. Wait, don't be afraid, but fear the Lord. I want you to be in reverent awe of who he is. So there's this combination of Not afraid of God as if he were your enemy, but reverent fear because he is your friend. And his wisdom and his ways are so much more, um, so much higher and further above the intelligence, the wisdom you as humans might have to cooperate, to make this thing work. You want to be in awe so you don't sin against each other because in so doing, you sin against God. He does this not to frustrate the perpetrator. He does this to protect the innocent. Okay, let's go over the first commandment of these three. The first one is do not steal. All right, very first thing. I rephrase it and I put it this way. I said, don't take things that God has not personally given to you. Tangible things or intangible things. If God has not personally provided you with something... To enjoy something you need, something to repair things, something to solve things. If God has not personally handed that to you, don't go just taking it. That's what stealing is. Don't take something God has not personally given to you. So that's tangible things and intangible things. How many of you can honestly say clear memory, clear recollection of being stolen from? Like you had a car stolen or your house broken into or someone just ripped you off, took your identity, your credit card. Yeah. What's one of the first feelings you have after that happens? Anger, yeah. And violation. Violation. How many, I, I can't tell you how many times, especially if people have had their house broken into, I can't tell you how many times people say, I just feel violated. It's just like, that's just not right. It's just unclean. It's just weird. It's just dirty. It's not, it's not right. Do you see what that does to relationships? When an individual violates you, and an individual violates me, you just kind of go, I just get out of my presence. I just don't want to have anything to do with you. This is what stealing does. It's a violation. Just as a sexual violation would be, or a reputation slur or slander is a violation, where even your intangible things about you are stolen from you. It's a violation, and so God's saying, you need to take this seriously. If I haven't personally given you something, just don't go out getting it any way you possibly can. I remember when I was 17 and stupid and really bored, I told some folks a few days ago, my greatest fear in life is boredom. I don't fear many things, but I I hate being bored, and got me in trouble a lot as a young man. 17 years old, we used to always go down to Newport Beach after school and check out the surf or just kind of wander around the beach just because, and there was this little shop right on Pack Highway called the Frog House, and the Frog House was a little surf shop, and it had beautiful shirts and clothing and surfboards, and my, my friend and I, John, uh, ordered brand new surfboards for ourselves. We had them hand-shaped to our specifications. They were I'd never done that before in my life. It was like the highlight of my life, and we were so excited. And so we would kind of go down and check them out see how they're going, how they're coming along, and they weren't quite ready. And uh, one day I was just getting really, really bored, and I said, I've got to do something unusual. Well, I saw a shipment of uh, product come in, and it was dropped off right near the front door into the surf shop. It going to you know, resupply stuff. And right by the door, literally within a foot, was this box of 100 bars of surfboard wax a little tiny case like this. And I remember just kind of wandering through the store going, that's mine. I'm taking this thing. And so we're just kind of wandering around looking at clothes. And I remember taking my foot, just sort of going like this, sliding it out the door. The guy at the counter was way back there. I wasn't paying attention. Sliding it out the door and out of sight. And then I went back in, John, Perry, let's go. I remember grabbing it, running to my car and jumping in. As soon as I picked up the box of wax, co-owner pulls up he saw me the whole time he's still in his car and so I throw the wax from my car jump in my little Carmen gear, and just take off and we're driving around the neighborhood behind the shop and behind Newport Beach and everything and we lost him we ditched him within a week I got a call from John John said hey Alex they're holding my board it's finished it's done I paid for it but they will not let me have it until you come back with that wax That did something to my relationship with John. Interesting, not something I would have thought of ahead of time. You see, our sin stealing really is kind of like, it's almost like an atmosphere that surrounds us, and it kind of gets on people. And when you're kind of a grabby person, people just kind of sense that. Jesus came to make us givers, right? Generous. Not takers, but givers. That's the spirit of Christ that he's given us. And so God says, if you want to maintain unity in your relationships, unity with me, don't steal. Don't take what's not yours. I did bring the wax back. Out of the 100 bars, about 15 had been eaten by my brother's pet mice. (laughs) Literally, they thought that was food, and they just tore into that box, and it it was half gone. I brought it back to the owner, and uh, he said, I don't want it. Just keep it. He had called the Newport Beach detective's office and, uh, and said, hey, we want you to uh, follow this guy up. I spoke with a detective one afternoon, and uh, he said, you know, this is, I could have you at least be put in jail overnight until we sort this thing out. But in your favor, the frog house has been under our surveillance for a long time. These guys have all kinds of criminal history, so you know what? We're gonna take care of them. You're free to go. Hallelujah, that's the grace of God, huh? But relationally, John and I were never quite the same after that. These commandments are here to keep us glued together. I was working at Global Van Lines, too. Um, A couple years later, I think I was about 21, 2019, about 19 years old. And uh, Global Van Lines, as you can see, is right next door to Disneyland in Anaheim. I was a janitor. I was going to college by then. And so I would work... um, Swing shift, 3 to 11 in the afternoons, and uh, go to bed at night, get up early, surf in the morning, have school in the middle of the day, had just a dream life, man, and then, and then work at Global Van Lines. And I had the entire third floor, the executive floor of international headquarters. And Global Van Lines is no longer there, but uh, as you can see, Disneyland right in the background. It was kind of a retro, mid century modern America. You know, it's built in the age of the rockets, you know, when all the cars had rocket things on them and everything else. So it was a great little job. and. And it was known to the people at Global Van Lines that because Disneyland all summer long would launch their fireworks right over the wall from their parking lot, they said, Alex, if you ever need a paint job, park right there. Because the ash rains down every single night, destroys people's paint jobs, and and it's free. Disney will pay for it. They understand it's their fault, they're liable. So everybody in global knows this. You just park right there. You got a brand new paint job. And let me ask you something. Is that stealing? Yeah. Yeah. Whenever we manipulate circumstances in our favor to make something that we want come to pass and God is not involved, that's stealing. Even though it was probably legal, it was obviously something Disney agreed to do, and it was very common God says, don't follow the crowd just because it's common. Now, I I actually was never attracted to that idea, so I never did it. Plus, my car was absolutely beat. It wouldn't have helped a thing if I'd gotten it painted. So, So I didn't do it. But see, even intangible things like favor or I just accidentally, wow, found a $5 bill that the guy in front of me left in the change deal. That's stealing. God is the one who provides. Our God is kind and he is generous. We don't have to resort, lower ourselves to such things relationally, tangibly, or in any other way. The second of these, which would be commandment number nine. Never throw someone else under the bus. Let them do that by themselves. Also stated, as you shall not give false testimony against your neighbor. The reason that God spoke this particular commandment to Moses for the people of Israel is because historically in ancient Israel, in those days, in that kind of culture, things that were going on around them back in, you know, 1300 BC was no different than today. It's exactly the same. People were trying to get ahead, trying to look better than they actually were, and if they couldn't do that on their own merit, they'd do it by putting someone else down. Or they would show up in court and try to get out of something and lie about their neighbor and say, no, I didn't do it, he did it. It had nothing to do with their culture or ancient times or what they were going through. Human nature is the same everywhere and has been always and always will be. They simply had a tendency to throw each other under the bus whenever they got themselves in a fix that they wanted to get out of. Um, Moses wrote it a second time. In Exodus 23, he said, don't link up with a wicked person and give corrupt testimony. I want you to think about this picture. Don't link up with a wicked person and give corrupt testimony. If you've got a a friend or an acquaintance or a boss or somebody else who they're in the fix, and this person is against them, they're going to look for allies. And they may invite you to come out, run along with them, and, and just sort of like support their story. Moses was aware of that tendency. Don't let them suck you in. No matter how much they threaten you, if you lose your job over it, hallelujah, persecution for Christ's sake. Goes on to say, don't go along with the crowd in doing evil and don't fudge your testimony in a case just to please the crowd. He's acknowledging that peer pressure will do that to us. But you're going to destroy a relationship here on earth as well as your relationship with God. And then he throws in, just because someone is poor, don't show favoritism in a dispute. Do you know that when we look at someone, let's say a homeless person is sitting there on the corner and we make a judgment about them, they could get out of that if they really wanted to. We have no idea what their history is or how they got that way. We were actually telling falsehoods about a person to ourselves and justifying our attitude. I get to think this because I exactly know how and why you got there and you shouldn't be there. We're basically lying about our neighbor. Do you understand this? That's why judging is is looked down upon so strongly in in Matthew and the teachings of Christ, judging one another. It's like we assume we know something about this person, so I'm justified in doing what I'm doing and saying what I'm saying. So he goes all the way from the out and out lying in court to attitudes and, and intents of the heart on the inside. He says that will destroy relationships. In the public square right now, it's, uh, it's just an absolute zoo when it comes to politicians. You know, this whole thing over the um, Russian collusion charges with our president. Um, Democrats are accusing the Republicans of just trying to Hide things from the public and get the president off the hook. Republicans are accusing Democrats of doing everything they can to keep this thing alive, even though there's no evidence. Well, they can't both be right. (laughs) They can't both be right. Somebody's right and somebody's wrong. Somebody's not telling the truth about their neighbor. And what it's doing is it brings such division in our country because human beings, individually, it's not a party issue, it's not a political issue, it's a human being issue. They're just saying, I really don't care whether it's true or not. We just have to win. Moses, God, is saying, don't do that. You know that Satan's primary desire is to divide. He's a divider. He just wants to pull people apart. And one of the the quickest ways to separate friends is to tell something bad about one of them to another person. You know, I knew Bob when he was 15 years old. And, oh, you would not, oh, mm-mm, you know, It's not any Bobs in here, by the way. Fictitious Bob. I should pick a name that nobody has, like Ernie. Is there an Ernie in the room? Okay. Boy, if you only knew, man, we, oh, last weekend, you, Ernie, oh, my gosh, he went off the rails. Just that little kind of thing. It just separates friends. You know, whether it's true or not, what Satan wants to do is divide. He says, where there's evil and disorder and strife, comes every evil thing. And it divides and separates. And that's his primary desire, is to separate people. So that's why we don't want to lie about our neighbor. That's why we don't want to even exaggerate about someone's offense. You know, I know that when I've been hurt by somebody... And I just have to share, even if I'm doing it with all the right intentions, like I genuinely need prayer. I I really need to be healed of this. I really need to forgive this person. So I I, want to do it in a godly way. I need to share with you, unload my burden, because that's what the Bible tells me to do. I need you to pray for me. I want to submit myself to you so I can be healed. It's not hard at all to just exaggerate the offense a little bit. Have you noticed that? Do you ever do that? Oh, you wouldn't believe it. She screamed at me. No, she, she did. She was yelling at the top of her lungs. I bet that's not true. <laughs> you're just exaggerating. Just because you're so hurt, you feel like you've got to pay him back. God says, that's what separates friends. When we exaggerate about offenses that do occur, they are genuine. They are real. We do hurt one another. We're all guilty of it. We've been on the receiving end, the giving end as well. But God says, even exaggerating about people's faults, don't do that. Just tell it like it is. Yeah, she raised her voice, and in my household, that sounded like yelling when I was growing up because nobody ever yelled in our house. But she really didn't scream like bulging veins, you know. God says, don't exaggerate. Don't lie about your neighbor. In fact, do what the psalmist says. Love covers a multitude of sins. Just cover their sins, if anything. And finally, the last, commandment number 10. If you want something you don't have, pressure God, not your neighbor. Moses... Serious. You shall not covet your neighbor's house, his wife, his servant, his ox, his donkey, or anything that belongs to your neighbor. I paraphrase it like this Don't covet their house, their spouse, their donkey, or mouse. (laughs) Anything tangible. Okay, now coveting is one, I think, one of the very few invisible activities in this list of Ten Commandments. All the others kind of had a tangible outward action. Coveting occurs invisibly. It's it's an inside the heart and mind kind of thought that we have. But it has an external sort of leakage that occurs. That's why when you get a brand new car, someone who's got an old beater happens to be walking through the parking lot, pulls out their key and just goes... You ever had that happen to you? Oh, yeah. Yeah. Why? cars get keyed because somebody's coveting. You see, you can't can't just harbor a covetous spirit and have it not leak out. Tangible things like your friend's house or anybody who lives in that neighborhood. Let's go paper their house. Well, who should we do? Let's go to the rich neighborhood. Let's do that. They... We justify because we think, yeah, they're somehow, you know, been just blessed beyond what they deserve, and we're somehow victimized, and, you know, we can justify this. Covening really is an ugly, ugly sin, and sometimes we don't think it's a big deal because, hey, look, I just because just I want a Porsche doesn't make me a bad person. No, it doesn't. You can want a Porsche all you want. But what does that do to your behavior? Do you start putting down people with Porsches? Have you ever noticed that happen? Oh, uh, those guys... <laughs> Horses are just stinky cars. I hate them. It could be intangible things that we covet. Gosh, I wish I had. Their friends. Look at how they just attract all the cool people. You know what that makes people do? It makes us do when we think that there's like this this special group. I did this in high school. There's a special group of cool people and I wanted to be their friend. So, what do you start doing? You start acting weird. You start acting ways you think will sort of get you in, and it's not you at all. And it's like completely over the top, and you're just going, I don't know how I got here, but it, it's kind of working. And then they look at me and go, You're just acting. That's not you at all. Go away. Just go away. You're clearly not cool. See, when you're. Coveting intangible things like popularity or influence. or It happens in church a lot. For some reason, people think there's something special about this nine square feet right here. Oh, look at that. They're up there. I'll never be up there. Probably a good thing. <laughs> <laughs> when we put pressure on the people around us or manipulate circumstances or even we put pressure on ourselves to start acting a certain way to to garner something like attention or or an item of some kind we're just pressuring the wrong person I I really really meant to when I said pressure God I learned this so so clearly when I was still single and really believing I should have been married by now I was 29 years old still hadn't found anybody for a life partner and you know I, I came to that point Hopefully some of you have tried this. If you're still single, trust me, it works. Where you finally go, you know, I've dated. I've tried dating. I've met girls. I've tried to think maybe, sort of, you could be my life partner. Nah, not so much. You finally come to the spot where you go, fine, I give up. I'll be single the rest of my life. Okay. Fine. The being single part does not work, that's for sure. But the giving up part... And saying, God, I just can't make this happen. But you put the drive and the desire to be married in me. I didn't invent myself. And I can't get it off my mind. So it's on you. Like, you know, I want to show you, God. All right, this is on you now. And the Lord said, thank you very much. Pam. <laughs> Literally, within weeks, I met my wife. You see, because I learned that God has promised certain things that I can actually count on him for. I don't have to go make them happen. He said, I can become a man of influence, but the way you do that is you hide his word in your heart, and it'll just start bleeding out of you, and people will notice that. There's something about the spirit of God that's kind of around you, just sort of emanates from you. You don't make people appreciate you. You just serve and care for them. He said, if you think my way and put the pressure on me to make things happen, I will. Whether it's a tangible thing or an intangible thing. I want to close with this. When Jesus was with his disciples and they asked him, Lord, would you teach us to pray? A lot of people look at what they call the Lord's Prayer as kind of like the, I mean, this is the prayer you got to get it right word for word, or it's just kind of like, no power, man. It's not true. Jesus didn't say, here's the prayer. He said, pray like this. It really should not be called the Lord's Prayer. It should be called the model prayer. It's just a model. Kind of like this. And I want you to see something. Maybe you've seen it before. Maybe you haven't. But, but he said something about his heavenly father that you and I need to desperately catch. It'll help us keep every one of these commandments. He says, when you pray, pray like this. Heavenly father, your name represents everything about you. Your entire character and nature is wrapped up in your name. Jehovah, God, almighty, father, savior, friend, shepherd and then he says pray like this father would you let heaven just rain down on me would you let your kingdom be formed in me just the way it's shaped in heaven you see right there you've already got this picture of an eager father waiting to be asked why would I go try to manipulate circumstances to get what I need when I have a God likes that? These commandments are solved by understanding the heart of God. He goes on to say, Father, today I really just need some basics. I could use some bread, shelter, some clothing. I have some needs. I even have some desires. So I'm telling you, because you're my source, my supply, you're the only one that can meet my needs. And just so you know, Father, I choose to forgive anyone who's ever offended me. Because I need your forgiveness as well. So help me not to ruin my life by making bad decisions, subjecting myself to the evil around me. Lord, I thank you that it's it's your kingdom your power, your glory, it's going to last forever and ever and ever. That's your Father. Pressure him. He longs to be leaned on. So, Lord, we thank you so much for this man named Moses who was capable of hearing your voice and transmitting your words. Lord, he had something that he knew about you that enabled him to feel safe in your presence unlike anyone around him and yet walk in reverent awe because I think he knew the balance between your, your love and your justice, your holiness and your gentleness. He knew that you were a perfect God for him. So we want to be able to keep your commandments not based out of some legalistic requirement to gain favor with you but rather as a result of your Holy Spirit living in us. Help us be people of the ten. Not by might not by power but by your Holy Spirit. Would you like that from him this morning? Why don't we just raise our hands together and say Father make me people who just emanate these ten commandments as a natural outflow of your love, your Holy Spirit, and me. Forgive us, Lord God, for the days and times that we haven't. And set us free to grow more and more and more and more into the image of your Son. In Jesus' mighty name. Everyone said? Amen. 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 Hallelujah. Well, next week we get to bring our palm fronds, wave them, and shout Hosanna to the king as he comes riding on a mule down into Jerusalem and prepare our hearts for the resurrection. All right, we'll see you in a week. God bless you. Don't forget to sign up for membership. (laughs)